This is the Insulone podcast, where I, Owen Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... The first thing they say to me is like, all right, in about a week's time, you're going to lose your leg. And that, that was... Yeah, they that was... They said a, that to you? That's the first thing. Oh They're like, God. you've sort of survived the first one. Your parents can't be in here with you because it's obviously COVID. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Good afternoon and welcome back to the podcast. And whoa, do I have an episode for you today. I'm rarely speechless when I do guests episodes. I'm rarely speechless in general, but... This episode today and this conversation that I had quite literally left me speechless. So the guest that I have is Ryan Taylor. He has been living with type 1 diabetes for over 15 years. He is a personal trainer, a nightclub promoter, and is also an actor and reality TV star who has been featured on Geordie Shore, which is the UK version of Jersey Shore, which I'm sure most of us know about. What initially started as an infection in Ryan's leg led then to sepsis, which led to then almost completely life-altering complications. And I don't want to tell you too much now because I want you to hear it from Ryan himself. It is an insane story. And as I said, I was quite literally lost for words while recording this episode. So let's get stuck in. Enjoy. So Geordie Shaw was a, a, a random experience. Obviously, I'm not sure if you can tell from my accent. I'm obviously not from Newcastle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they've sort of obviously strayed away from the, the typical um, that premise of the show. You had to be a Geordie. I think the last few years they had uh, Louis on as well, who was from Barnsley. And they started moving away from it. And I think last year they were coming out of COVID. Uh, and the, the big thing was going to be we're going like, to send in new people, none of them from Geordie Shaw. And the original premise I got was it was going to be like the ultimate party season of Geordie Shaw. Um, it was going to be, we're going to send people who work party job party jobs, usually like from abroad, because the UK's party scene is obviously not as good as other places. Uh, so they're going to send in people who'd work party jobs and spice up the house, basically. That's what I got told. Um, then they sort of come to you when you're in isolation and turn around and say like, well, it's, it's the ultimate party season, but <laughs> we can't really party because even though COVID's ending, like you still can't go to clubs. It's still a big thing that we still have to take massive COVID precautions. And um, because of that, they changed into sort of a dating season. So they had all these people still who were like, from that party that like we had, uh, I think uh, a stripper, uh, someone who worked in dancing, all the main clubs, um, like a, an actual dancer though, not a stripper. So they had like a variety of people who had done these other sort of jobs abroad. I was obviously a nightclub promoter. And then, it was sort of on the drop of a hat. Like, oh, by the way, it's a dating show. And I was dating someone at the time as well. So this isn't good for me. <laughs> I was literally like, it, I we were, say that went down well. <laughs> we were massively, we were on the rocks, to be honest. And it was, <laughs> I, it was, we were on the rocks before I even said yes to the show. And then I knew going on it when it was just a party show in general, it's going to be hard because she's not stupid. She's watched Jordan Shaw. She knows what it's about, really. Um, and then when they say, oh, by the way, like you're dating, blah, blah, on the show, I was thinking, well, actually, I'm dating someone from a backup by Coventry. <laughs> So it, um, it, it did cause like a bit of a situation, but they literally told us as we were like sort of going into the house, so it's a bit wild. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so we did we did that season. Um, it was done based on like how well the person you were sort of with 
how well of a couple you were, but the couple sort of heard you in that. It was very obviously, I think most now shows sort of like a spin off of Love Island almost. Um, and it was like Geordie Shaw's version of Love Island. And then, um, and then after that, it was, it was one of them that you obviously sort of tied with MTV uh, f- for that year. And we, it, you just had to decide, basically. I think a few of them have decided to go back. I've decided not really to bother. Um, there are so many things I want to do outside of just Geordie Shaw. I've had uh, some crazy experiences this year in TV, which to me, uh, to me, I wouldn't have obviously got if I had stayed on. And yeah, I just, I, I'm not good. I'm not that sort of person who wants to have to run something by everyone. I think I'd been on another podcast and talked and been, I'm very open about my experience on it. Like some things were amazing, some things probably weren't. Uh, and then I, I got a bollocking, <laughs> I got a bollocking for, for not being uh, PR friendly to them and not just saying good things. And so I, I don't work like that. I'm, I'm very honest, I'm going to be honest about my experience on it. And uh, I just don't think it was, it was a great experience. I, I'm so glad I did it. Uh, but long term, it wouldn't be something I would be interested in, to be honest. There's so many different things in television that I want to do that it wouldn't just be Geordie Shaw. So I will not be on the next season. There's people going to be disappointed about that, Ryan. They, they won't see uh, you on the next one. Do you know what? I was I was so sick when I was on the last season. It's the only time ever that I've um, looked at it anything i've done and just been like wow because like there's times where i probably perform better in certain things uh, not just television but anything i've done there's probably times obviously you do things well things that you don't do well that was the only time that when i was actually there i remember being like god i, I should not be in here like i was so sick like one of the six i not well <laughs> came straight out of hospital into the show and then watching it back i was like i felt like i just i i was watching myself and i was like jesus like, i look like i don't want to be there like i look like i haven't got the energy to even put in like conversations to flat um it's really it's, it was honestly so it was weird for me watching it back. i didn't want to watch it back because i just when i saw bits of me i was like that ain't me um so yeah it's uh i don't think that'd be a massive disappointment like i said I, yeah i felt like i didn't really do myself justice when i was on there but also i was in a very weird um situation how far is going into the show <laughs> well that's obviously something that i wanted to ask you about and yeah obviously for anybody who doesn't know what geordie shore is it's basically the english equivalent of jersey shore would it be? <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 so jersey shore was the original uh i mean geordie shore started just a couple of years after because jersey shore was massive in america and like pretty much mm. straight away so so you obviously went on to geordie shore and this is put out to millions of people so millions yeah. of people see you on the tv and see how you're acting and socializing and dating as, as you've just said <laughs> but prior to you going on this Geordie Shore MTV show, what happened to you, Ryan? Um, so it, it happened over the space of a few weeks. It was it's it's so weird looking back on it now. Um, basically, I remember well, there was a day at work. Distinctively remember this day, and I had spoke at this point. By the way, I'd spoke to um, the casting people for Geordie Shore, and you know what? I just love doing casting calls. So I got um, a message about it. It wasn't. It wasn't even. Um, it wasn't even told to me that it was Geordie Shaw. But I do these casting calls. I basically see them as interviews. Like if you can say yourself, if you can say yourself to like a, a TV production company, you can say yourself to a job. I just think it's a valuable skill to have, and I just find them interesting. I just love talking about myself. So <laughs> I did it. Uh, I'd done a few of them, and then um, but it's not like a. It's, a, it's like you do one, you sort of hear maybe a week later, you're, you're on to the next stage, speak to them again. So it wasn't really in my mind. Um, and then I literally had done one where they had said, oh, by the way, the show is Geordie Shaw, by the way, and this is where they sort of told me it was going to be the party season. And now 
I'm obviously a bit interested. <laughs> and then I'm at work one day. I just remember my leg, like, over the space of a day, start the shift, I was walking around fine. And by the end, I could not move my leg to the left or right without, like, just, like, making, a, like, a noise. Everyone was like, what is he doing? I was making, like, a noise in pain. Like, it was, like, physically hurting. I remember being like, what is wrong with my leg? Like, must have, like, I was sorry, I'd never pulled a muscle or anything like that. <laughs> so I, I really didn't know what this could be. Uh, and then over the space of a week and getting prescribed, a crazy amount of painkillers and things just to try and numb me by the doctors because this is peak covid so they're, they're not seeing people in doctors in person they're sort of speaking to you over the phone and diagnosing you essentially over the internet so i was getting told i had sciatica <laughs> i was getting told i've got like a trapped nerve and like this this painkiller list is just building up by the second i'm on like eight different ones five times a day I've, i'm signed off work uh and i'm still in pain and it got to the point where like I'm, I'm i'm noticing there's like an alien head popping out the left side of my leg and that was a day where i was like you know what like we're just gonna show up with the doctors because this is getting like ridiculous so um my dad drove me as i had to lie flat in the back because <laughs> i could not bend my leg to sit down um and then we make to the doctor's we go in there and I'm like, tell, tell me this isn't an infection. Like, look at this. And the doctor's like, oh, 100%. Um, we'll get you an MRI as soon as we can. And here's another painkiller. And I was like, this is the ninth one. Like, clearly, they're not going to kick. Clearly, this pain is staying around no matter what. Like, <laughs> I'm on this is the ninth painkiller. Like, not a chance. So we drove straight to hospital. And during COVID, I think it was there's sort of like a rule that like Sundays, they would only do a limited amount of surgeries and they wouldn't do it on a Sunday because of. The, they don't have many doctors in they wouldn't do it on a Sunday unless it was a life or death scenario and I think we arrived at about 2am Sunday morning and then I was operated on a few hours later on Sunday they cut open my leg and they saw that um, not only did I have sepsis like a um, brutal uh, blood infection but I had a blood clot as well um, and it basically had a, a the first surgery where they were just sort of working out where everything was trying to get the majority of this uh, clot out and then apparently it took them five hours to revive me after. So they had to get like my heart rate and my blood pressure to sort of match up to, to wake me up. And apparently one was sky high and one was like bottom out. So with that, uh, it took them five hours to revive me after the surgery. And I remember I woke up and I was like, didn't obviously like, <laughs> like dazed, didn't really know what was going on in a lot of pain. First thing they say to me is like, all right, in about a week's time, you're going to lose your leg. Um, and that, that was yeah that was a, that that's the first thing uh oh, they're like wow. you sort of survived the first one your parents can't be in here with you because it's obviously covid so I, I don't even know i haven't even found out yet that my mum was on the phone for five hours speaking to them waiting for me to wake up and just waiting for an answer is he awake yet um so yeah when i woke up and they told me that straight away you're like by the way you are gonna lose your leg and that was obviously a bit of a dark time. I think there's, I always try and see it now as like there's worse things in life. I was probably a bit selfish during this time. Like I was very like feeling sorry for myself, I guess. Um, but obviously it's just not a nice thing to wake up to, especially when I just think it was such a preventable thing. Like if I'd been on antibiotics from day one, uh, obviously wouldn't even got to the point of needing the surgery. So anyway, skip ahead, get to surgery two, um, go in expecting to like the day before I spent to lose my leg, come out after surgery, my leg's normal and I had no idea why. And apparently um, a female doctor had spoken to the two male doctors who had made the decision to um, amputate my leg and said, um, basically we're in this position where we're going to operate on him anyway. 
how do you know we have to amputate his leg? Uh, and they said the infection will be in his bones. If the infection is in his bones, he'll never be able to he'll never be able to walk on it without pain. He will be a cripple. He, he'll need to honestly it's better to get his leg off. And she said, "We've got him here for the whole day. It's getting into Sunday surgery. Let's let's drill into the bones and see." And when they did, so miraculously, all the infection was in like the muscle and fat tissue. There was no infection in my bones. And then it just was a case of like literally hoovering out every bit of like muscle and fat <laughs> in my leg. Um, and so I woke up after the second surgery, just like shocked. Like I've got both legs. It's crazy. Um, and then we had to have a third surgery about a week later uh, where they finally got out the remainder of the infection. It was literally like just full of infection. And I remember feeling my leg after all the uh, inflammation has gone down. And it's like a it's like a bag of milk. Like there's there's not one drop of like muscle left in the left leg. <laughs> there's nothing, and I literally couldn't like like move it without just feeling like just like constant muscle strength. There's so little muscle in that leg holding it all together. It, I, it would feel like I pulled four or five muscles every time I, I I moved it to the left or right to get off like the hospital bed. So painful, and it literally sucked out about a stone and a half out of that leg. Um, so during all this, by the way, <laughs> I decide to uh, take a final message from Geordie Shaw uh, while going through this. I think I was just so off my head on morphine and other things in that hospital. I <laughs> uh, just wanted some like positive in, uh, in my life, I guess. So I'm, um, I take this final call from mum and they're like, by the way, we've loved you this whole time. We're going to get you down to London this week and you're going to meet the MTV execs and you're going to go on Geordie Shaw like it's, it's confirmed. And... Obviously, I don't have a leg. At this point, I thought, well, I thought I was getting my leg amputated. And then now I, I don't have enough muscle in that leg to walk on it. So I'm there. Like, I don't think I can make it down. Um, but I want to be on your show. Like I decided I want to do it because I, I feel like after that sort of like bad experience, I just wanted something fun to look forward to. And they literally were like arguing with me. I was like, look, I literally cannot leave this hospital bed. Explain the situation. And they were like, what, are you sure you still can come on the show? And at the time, obviously, I'm stupidly just saying yes. Um, so they say, fine, you can speak to the MTV execs. We'll do a FaceTime call with you. <laughs> they, he was like, I know you'll smash it. Like, it won't be too long. They just want to make sure you're right for the part. And they want to see, sort of see, like, who, what position in the house you're going to play. So we're there putting, like, a bed. I'm there, like, my parents are this way. I'm just happy that I'm alive. I'm there telling them to put, like, a backboard behind me in the hospital bed. I'm telling them to get me, like, to to, <laughs> to check me out of hospital so I can get a tan for two hours <laughs> and check me back in. And then I'm in this hospital bed <laughs> trying to act okay to the edge of the exact. So I just absolutely just sound them a dream. And then they're like, they're, yeah, they're literally like, yeah, we want you out. Are you sure you're going to be able to do this? Now, obviously me, I'm like, yeah, of course. And I sort of heard like rumblings that like it was the end of June was going to be the start of the filming date. And this right now was middle of May. So I'm there, I say to them, was like six weeks, I'll be walking again. We're laughing, like I'll smash it. And they turn around to us and like, you talk, six weeks is the end date. You're going into isolation in 10 days and the show starts mid-June. So you've got basically two weeks. And I was just sitting there like, trying to think something on the spot and I just said like oh yeah six weeks for the average lad three weeks for me <laughs> and then uh, the execs were like I think they were looking at each other like this this <laughs> this lad hasn't got a clue <laughs> but um but I think they obviously they want different people and I think I was just yeah I think they just obviously liked something about me so they said yes and then we literally then it was like I was buzzing like they sent over all the contracts of that but I'm sitting there like 
looking at the state I'm in, looking at like, the amount of medication I'm taking. Like, I already feel like I'm a walking pharmacy anyway before having sepsis and all this blood infection. And now we've got all these extra things I've got to take. I'm like, and I know they're sending me over forms, like declaring all your medical stuff. And I'm there like, Jesus, can I actually put all this down? Like all this stuff. <laughs> and um, yeah, so then it was literally like I had 10 days to to get off crutches. So I literally, the second I got out of hospital, I was trying to walk and my mom and dad going mental at me, like, you need to rest. And I was trying to like walk to try and build some strength back in this leg. And yeah, just, uh, it's, it's a crazy time. I look back at it now, I wouldn't even think twice, but I like, it could have been a, a, even a much bigger opportunity and I never would have done it. But at the time it's like, when I have my head set, like, oh, I'm doing this. I'm, and it, I've got stories about to do with my diabetes where it's like, I probably should have not done something because of my diabetes, but I had it in my head, I was doing that. And as soon as I have something in my head, it's getting done no matter what. And as soon as I decided, oh, by the way, I'm going on Geordie Shore, like <laughs> this leg infection didn't matter. The fact that I could not walk did not matter. So, yeah. I, Brian, I don't even know. It's a bit of a wild start, isn't it? <laughs> I actually don't even know where to start with all of that because I had no idea about the extent of the pain the painkillers, the operation, the whole process, the fact that you were close to losing your leg. Like, I'm kind of mind blown here. But yeah, it's the a first g- thing, and I have a few questions based. Yeah, go, I'm go, sure go. anybody listening has, has loads of questions too. But the first one, well, the thing that jumps out to me initially jumped out was the fact that you were almost going to get your leg amputated until one doctor said hold on hold on maybe we should double check something here crazy it's uh one of my biggest regrets is that i'm obviously in this i'm not a lie i was heavily like medicated every time they'd walk around with morphine pain clears, I, was, I was loading up on them when i was in the hospital so i wasn't really with it like for them these three weeks that i'm in there because i was just literally i number one I, I don't do good being told to lie in a bed all day i need to be doing stuff and number two a lot of it was in, in like a negative time in my life obviously i'm here i'm losing my leg this one of my biggest regrets I, I i never got that doctor's name i got told it was basically a doctor who was there that day um i never got to see her like i have no idea who it is but all i know is it's it's crazy that you know someone else they throw that input and if, if they hadn't have said that i just would have one leg right now and it's 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 crazy that it's not even like it wasn't even the mind of the other two doctors who I'm pretty sure were the more experienced ones because they were doing the surgery and this doctor was not. And it wasn't in their minds, but it was in hers. That is unbelievable. And the way I'm looking, and I'm sure you've thought about this a million times before, and the way I look at that is like that one decision by that doctor to make sure something is double-checked could have just completely altered your whole life. Yeah, I, I and that it, I feel like no matter what, you always come out on the other end. Like some people, so some people having diabetes is oh god, life changing. Of course, it is life changing, but I've never not done anything I wanted to to do because of it, basically. And the same, if I had one leg, it would be, it would hundred percent have changed my life. And it is, I would have still found a way to still be happy. That's always number one on checklist. Would find a way to still be happy. Find a way to still do stuff that I want to do, but. That would that would be diabetes times a thousand in terms of how much you change your life. Like, because mm. at that point, my 
I, I really had it in that, that summer. I, see, I even went back to IBF last year during the summer, and it was like, that put my sort of job, <laughs> it was walking around club promoting in IBF, and it's like, how many of them do you see with like one leg on the beach? Like, especially in the place like IBF, where it's all about how you look, and it's all la, la, la. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's crazy like that, and that's what literally I went and did straight after Geordie Shaw, and it's like, it, already, it would have literally impacted my life straight away and then obviously forever and um i don't know it's just it's i'm I'm really disappointed i'd never got that talking this name but like i could not be more grateful that there's obviously people out in the medical field who sort of think not only about oh what what do we do by the book but what do we do for this person because like i said for like a 20 how 25 i think i was 24 at the time 24 year old lad losing your leg is obviously going to be no matter what age but obviously a 24 year old lad is going to be a massive impact on their life and obviously she considered that whereas from what i gather the other ones didn't and it was more like by the book his bones are going to be infected so let's amputate it asap before they start getting infected but again if my bones were already infected i think they should have looked into it because i'm not being funny the amount of pain i was in <laughs> i don't think one or two more days like while they had a little look around and worked out whether the bones were infected mm. would have made that much more difference because like for about a week to 10 days it was constant pain so and how would you describe that pain, Ryan? Because obviously I can't relate that yeah. to anything I've experienced in my life. And from the sounds of it, you were getting pumped up on morphine and on oh. nine different types of painkillers. What was it yeah. actually like? How would you describe it? It's so, you have these things, parts of your life, which I, I basically, I'm so glad that I documented all with photos and videos <laughs> because in my messed up states on these nine painkillers, I seriously wasn't good. After, when I was in hospital, I went back and I was listening to voice notes because I'd spent like a week with a girl I was seeing at the time and I had no idea what we'd done. She had said we'd watched a certain movie a few days ago, had no idea. And I'll go out on my phone and I saw there was videos of her dressing me one day because I can't physically bend my leg. And I had no idea she was even around my house that day. Um, I was so loaded on painkillers, but it was it was just an, a dull ache, and then and then all of a sudden sharp pain. And I just remember being like, that. I just I basically just lay on the couch or lay on my bed, and would just be sitting there, and it just got progressively worse to the point where I I think the the day that we went to hospital was when obviously we saw it was like sort of like an alien head stance form coming out of the leg, but the one or two days before that, I think for twenty four hours that was just like uncontrollably crying i'm not like screaming but just like just like shaking and just like being like, like it just doesn't stop mm-hmm. and I, it's weird because you look back at it and you think why the hell did i let it get that far but obviously you're getting told by a medical professional oh it's sciatica i'm there googling like, does sciatica make you cry because <laughs> I, <was in> so- <laughs> I was in so much pain i was there like i swear loads of old people have sciatica like surely this isn't it and like that's what i mean like you're getting that i think was a real that's where the injustice was done during covid like um i bet there was a million other medical circumstances probably more than a million uh where people didn't get the treatment they probably should have got because you couldn't see a doctor and uh, like I said I was just getting loaded up on painkillers but all I know is it was constant pain because I think I, I sort of drew the line when he started adding even more to it and I was going back and listening to my voice notes and I'm speaking like I've had 20 beers like I sound slurring words I sound off my head and this was in the middle of the day <laughs> and uh it was just it was a weird week like I said it was just a, a constant pain and then it would just get like extremely sharp if I tried to move my leg so for about a week I was just literally propped up on a couch so so do you feel as if if it wasn't for 
the alien head, as you put it yourself, sticking outside of, your, of the left side of your leg. If it wasn't for that, would you have gone to the hospital at that time? That's where it becomes quite weird because the alien head was obviously letting us know the infection was there. But like I said, for the whole week before that, I didn't, I didn't assume it was an infection. Like we had, this is what's remarkable to me. Obviously, blood tests in the hospital would come back crazy, but you couldn't even get blood tests at that point as well because it was during a time where you had to wait like a week for the blood test. So they hadn't seen like my white blood cell count would have been sky high and they would have known it's an infection. So I reckon basically when I had that surgery, they said it was that you operated on a Sunday because you probably would have died in the next one to two days. Like it was that severe that like you would have died. Um, so I reckon if that alien head didn't pop out and it was fully just stayed in my leg, like, yeah, that would have been it. That's insane. Mm. So you were obviously then, Ryan, just like completely out of it for this whole time with all those painkillers. Yeah, so like I, I would wake up in my even before I went, I mainly knew I was with the girl I seen. She she had been around a lot. Didn't really tell any of my friends, but I don't do good with the. I I think people saw when I was on the podcast and I was talking about my leg. They saw a photo of how bad it was, and loads of people mentioned me. Oh my god, I had no idea. And I thought, well, why would you have any idea? To be honest, because like I'm not going to go and put that on social media. Like <laughs> it's not exactly like I think. I just died. I'm not one, one for sympathy or anything like that. But I know the week before I was with um, with uh, the girl I was seeing and so I wasn't really doing like nothing too weird happened, but I had no recollection of it. But when I was in hospital and I'm just literally like having probably the one of the lowest points of my life, I'm just constantly on morphine all day, constantly just trying to get painkillers from them because it's just killing, not sure what's going on with the leg. I was just like, I had nothing to do but go on my phone. And it's like every time I'd wake up from my sleep, I'd look at my phone and I'd be like, Jesus Christ. I was sending out weird messages to people, like voice noting my mates and just sounding like, <laughs> just talking about the most like random stuff. Cause I don't, it was like I was constantly drunk. <laughs> like I just wasn't with it when I was in the hospital bed. And I used to, I used to have to be like, you know what? I'm going to take this <laughs> dose of morphine. So I'd eat my food, take this dose of morphine and I'd literally be out to the nurse. So I'd take my phone, <laughs> get it away from me because wow. uh, I don't trust myself on it. So uh, yeah, it's just, um, there's just so little, um, recollection of that time period because of all them uh the medication i was on and i'm curious to know now ryan because you were under your like mental and physical stress you were pumping painkillers from the sounds of it mm. and you weren't fully conscious from the sounds of it too how did your diabetes management fit into this whole thing um there was no management there was no managing there it was mm. impossible it was straight up um all of these medications, um, so, you know, obviously you can get sugar-free antibiotics, sugar-free this. Um, the ones that I specifically needed weren't sugar-free, for one. Morphine is does an absolute number <laughs> on your blood sugar. It's sky high. Um, there was, everything was, it was almost like impossible. It got to the point where there was days where I would just, I would wake up with like a dry mouth because I was constantly, my body was that worn out that, I'd basically have about four hours and I'd need a good sleep. So I'd wake up, I'd probably, I'd text my mom and everyone that I know I was okay. I'd get food dropped off, I'd eat that. I'd watch like something on my phone for an hour. And then I would take some morphine and do an eight hour sleep. And there was times I'd wake up for that little four hour sort of slot and I'd have the driest mouth in the world. I luckily, I, I, well, luckily, I guess you can say, but I was on a catheter at the time as well. So it's not like I had to run to the toilet or anything. Um, I just could wee straight into the catheter. Um, but 
so I'd have all the craziest, like the, the worst symptoms of high blood sugar. And I would just grab my insulin pen and literally, without even like trying to work out anything, I'd just inject 50, 50 units because I knew 50, it was that bad. 5 0. 5 0. So I knew it was that bad because, like, the, the also the stress will get in, I'm sure we'll get into it a bit later on, but cortisol plays a crazy number on your diabetes. It's, mm. I'm only learning this now. It is one of the most important things to do with actually your diabetes management and the general day to day management of your uh blood sugar and obviously when you're going through all these things we're going through all this shock basically sepsis shock it your cortisol has spiked it's so high mm. it's almost impossible to bring your blood sugar down i there was like i said i was doing 50 just as like okay i feel high it will need i'll need 50 and i'm not like um insulin sensitive or anything <laughs> like I'm, i think i'm like quite normal in terms of like what i'll do for a gram of carbohydrate so 50 to me would be like eating the world <laughs> and um to put that would, into perspective ryan sorry to jump in but to put yeah. that into perspective even from my own experience the largest single dose i've ever taken in my 10 plus years is 12 units and you said 50 yeah that i it 50 to me to do that i'm trying to think what sort of it would have to be like a, a it'd have to be like a crazy takeaway plus f- four or five desserts like <laughs> in the buffet bottle we're having yeah. we're having full sugar cokes <laughs> like, it would have to be taking the absolute mix i can't even think why and but i said that would be 50 just to be like okay that would get me in range <laughs> like i knew oh. that's how high i would be it was it was honestly so the symptoms you're getting obviously i know everyone gets like hyper symptoms but when you're that high it's like you really do feel like you might get dry mouth usually if you're a little bit high like you do feel that dry mouth when you're you're sky high and you need 50 units that's how yeah i'd wake up and it's almost like felt like i'd smoked 50 fags like it was like what's going on in my mouth um yeah it, that was honestly one of the most unpleasant things about that whole experience as well was just the fact that like i generally was sitting there i just couldn't get diabetes under control and also, at this point, I don't really want to interact. I'm, I'm already talking to enough doctors and everything, and then they start sending down the, the diabetes doctors to, oh, can we help you out? And I'm, I'm there like, look, if there was a way to help us out, <laughs> I would honestly speak to you. But it just sounds like it's a guessing game for the next couple of weeks when I'm on this, and it's just got to be a whole lot of insulin. Um, so, yeah, I don't remember ever going low when I was in hospital. Uh, I don't think that was a, a, an occurrence. But it was, I think, even in the two weeks after my surgery that I was in there, surgeries um i don't think i got down to a good, good i maybe had the odd good number but it wasn't i never got a day of being consistent no chance yeah see and the thing the thing about it is like you're going through this physically mentally you're taking all these painkillers it's enough stress as it is enough pain as it is and then on top of that you have to deal with just excessively high blood sugar levels and pumping 50 mm. units of insulin into you. That is I can, madness. I it's like obviously diabetes is one of the things I always say to people, it's not even a, it's not a full-time job, it's a, it's a full-life job, isn't it? Because mm. you take your eyes off the ball for one minute at night and you, you don't really work out how much you should inject. You inject too much, that could be, honestly, it could be uh, have bad um, repercussions. But at this point, Diabetes was the last thing. Honestly, it was the last thing on my mind because I, I almost couldn't even think of a way to get it down. Like I said, I was there each day adding like uh, two units to uh, my lung acting. Uh, we use a uh, Traceba in the UK at the minute. So uh, I was adding two units to my Traceba every sort of day. I think I my usual Traceba dose for a day would be about 12 units. And I think at this point it was about 30. 
Um, so I was adding two units a day, still not getting anywhere, still doing these 50 unit uh, pumps. So nearly like a 200% increase. Great answer, yeah. And then it's like, but then it's the scariest part after that is when all of a sudden these things start coming out of your system because the thing is antibiotics won't they don't, they don't stop the day you stop taking them it's not like i take that last dose and oh i'll go back to my 12 units to tomorrow mm-hmm. no there's mm-hmm. there's a trickle down effect so they slowly leave your system so that was the scariest thing because now it's like well i realistically i have a risk having far far too much insulin in my body and maybe having some really scary scenarios or i sit here miserably high all day by 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 undershooting and that it was that was the hardest thing to balance. When we're coming off one medication at a time, okay, you don't get morphine anymore, but you still got all these other things in your system. You still got the stresses of the high cortisol, which is going to mess up with your diabetes. It was trying to work out that like, as we deduct each medication, how much are we deducting from this crazy insulin dose that we're doing at the minute? Mm-hmm. So that was that honestly was the uh, science experiment in itself. This is crazy stuff. <laughs> this mm. is unbelievable. You described ryan your leg as a bag of milk after they <laughs> took all the muscle out and, and the fat tissue out what did your leg look like because obviously a podcast we can't show a photo but yeah, how would you describe say, your leg I'll, I'll at that time i'll send some personally to you over because i think yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, dude, I'll, dude. I'll let you see uh, so it's one of the nastiest things you probably you you wouldn't believe it like look so after the first surgery i've got this photo which is it's the image that i show people because you get that reaction like, oh my god <laughs> like, it looks like someone's bit off half your leg uh and then i remember coming home I'm not a vain person, to be honest. Like, people probably think I am. I'm not a vain person. I'm not all about a looks. But I remember coming home and looking at my left leg and, like, generally, like, feeling like I wanted to cry. Like, I was sitting there, like, what is, like, I just had 30-something stitches in the left side of my upper leg going into my bum. And then it's half the size of my other leg. And then it's not even just half the size. It's half the size. And if you touch it, it just, you don't feel anything. You just feel, it's like, you just your hand just pushes the skin out of the way because there's no there was honestly zero muscle tissue in it and then obviously every time you move it you, you feel like you're pulling a muscle or a tendon or something like that because there's the muscles are you're literally developing by the second every time i eat you you feel my leg filling out for the next 10 days when i'm eating meals and stuff like that i literally feel it filling out because you're literally developing tissue inside of it but at the start it literally was just a, it felt like a bag of milk that's honestly the best description i've ever thought for it so what did your recovery look like in terms of when you say um, that your leg was filling out and you could almost feel it and see it filling out over that 10 days? Were you given kind of recommendations or suggestions in relation to how you can or should recover from this thing? I'm not going to lie. I didn't even get told how to look after the stitches. <laughs> I, remember Lee, I remember checking out the hospital and then running back and being like, hold on, can I shower? Like, <laughs> and they were like, no, but like a wrap round. And I was like, I haven't been given any. And they're like, oh God, like running got me. Honestly, I think it was such a chaotic time here yeah. to be in the hospital, obviously with everything going on with COVID. It was such a mess. Uh, I was told to take it easy for six weeks. Um, obviously, I decided at this point I was going to enjoy Shaw, which actually would, would have been... I would have went into isolation 14 days after getting released from hospital. So roughly 20 days from my surgery. So I was told to give it six weeks and then you'll be off crutches and you'll have some strength back in that leg. So I didn't really give myself, they obviously had their ideas of recovery and I had mine and they were very different. Uh, I just really didn't know what to do with myself. I, I think I couldn't stay in the hospital because I've got this personal feeling that it might be totally wrong. <laughs> I've got a feeling that being around sick people makes you sick. 
I, I just think that if you're if you're around people who are really ill and you're in that environment, you do not get better. You do not get better lying in a hospital bed 18 hours a day. Like, let me walk around. Let me try and build some muscle here. And I've, I think I was 100% correct to leave when I did because they wanted me to stay longer. Uh, because as soon as I start, the strength starts flying back in. When I'm the only time in hospital, I'm getting off the bed and using my legs if I want to go to the toilet. That's the only time I'm allowed. Um, but by going home and challenging myself to walk faster, like it was literally like building like muscle back in the leg. You could, like I said, you could feel it every day. And then like you, you had to like learn the motor patterns in your leg again. It's crazy that like by taking all the muscle tissue out, like you lose all of them. If you'd put me like doing like a speed test, even when I developed a bit of muscle, my left leg would be had been so out of tune with the right. Like you had to develop the motor patterns back. Um, and that was actually like what I did for them two weeks before I went to isolation. It was the only thing I focused on. I was doing physiotherapy on it three three times a day trying to stretch it but obviously trying not too hard on the upper leg because you're probably really going to pull their muscles as they're developing back um and then just and then just getting as much time on my feet as possible till it would hurt because it would ache and then i'd go and rest and it's probably the most on point i've ever been in terms of nutrition in my life like even when i used to be really heavily into gym i'd never been so on top of like on this i was there like okay i need my vitamin k because i need clotting factors in that leg i need vitamin c anti-inflammatory and i was so on top of that and i think it's probably one of the healthiest times of my life <laughs> like coming out of it it's the most dialed in i've been in terms of like nutrition for this not being at work so all i could do was focus on getting it back and yeah it was actually them two weeks because i felt like i was working against the clock that was interesting like how did you find getting back into eating consistently after that experience because i would imagine with the excessive amount of morphine and painkillers surely that hadn't an effect on you did it um no i'm not gonna lie i'm so blessed for uh, this is maybe i'm gonna think no matter what whether i'm sick or not one thing my body doesn't stop is my ability to eat <laughs> i can always eat <laughs> uh and then my parents being as good as they are i was that person even though it was covid and people were out in the hospital my mom and dad would drop up two beef meals two salmon meals uh and i'd be there in the hospital with my nice smelling food while everyone else is eating their horrible hospital food uh so like i said even when i was in hospital they made sure i was so on point they they're probably petrified about my health <laughs> and uh, they have every reason to be uh which is why i think they um have always tried to help out whenever they can um so yeah the the eating was never a problem like i said it was the most probably dialed in and focused i've been trying to get my numbers right after it because I know I'm going in the Joy Show house. I know I'm doing it when I shouldn't be. Let, let's try and get some sort of health balance for these two weeks before we go and probably mess it up again. That was part one of my chat with Ryan Taylor. And if you are listening to this episode on the day of the release, part two is out tomorrow. But as you know, otherwise, part two will be the next episode on our list. <laughs>